Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you for being here. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you'd like to follow along with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take one with you. Or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take one and give it to them. We would love for you to have God's word in your hands throughout this week. And today's scripture will be taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, and can be found on page 981. Follow along with me as I read. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please pray with me. Father, we love you and praise you. Lord, we thank you. We do pray for Pastor Tyler, Lord. Bless him, Father, I pray. I pray your blessing over everyone that is here today. I give you all thanks and praise, for you are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning. My name is Tyler Tooley. I get to be one of the pastors here at Grace Point Church. If we haven't met, I'd love to shake your hand, give you a fist bump or a hug, elbow, whatever you guys get down with. Um, I'm usually hanging out down here uh, after service. So come and say, hey, uh, I'd love to get to know you a little bit and talk. So uh, what we love to do here at Grace Point Church is we love to go through different books of the Bible. So we'll start from the beginning and go all the way through it. Um, They call that expository preaching. So we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so right now we're in Philippians. We've been in Philippians for about seven weeks now. And we've got a few weeks left, and then we're jumping into Titus. And uh, I'm super excited to get into Titus, and I'm excited to jump into Philippians because it is getting really good. And so uh, in chapter one of Philippians, just to give you guys some backstory, if you guys weren't here or missed it, but chapter one, Paul, just he's in prison right now. He's in Rome, and he's writing um, this to the church. He's writing this to the church of Philippi and how he has so much joy and happiness from being on mission with them, telling people about Jesus, telling the guards, because he's in jail. So he's telling the guards about Jesus. And he's telling them about all this joy that he has while he is sitting there in prison. In fact, his joy ends up radiating while he's in prison. It ends up going and reaching the guards. It, like People see, basically, Paul is the, the happiest, most joyful person in Rome right now, yet he's in prison. And so it's crazy to see that that joy he has is from not just in his circumstances, but from Jesus. And so when we jump in to chapter two, um, just to give you guys a rundown of that, Paul is writing to the Philippian church and how they need to live the way that Christ lived. 
They need to make sure Christ is at the center of their hearts, the center of their lives. He told them to give all the glory to God, not to take any of the glory for themselves, not to prop themselves up on the, the pedestal or whatever. He said to be humble, to lower yourself, to lift someone else up, to lift others up. And he also talked about how they need to obey God and what God commands us to do. And so as things get hard, if we follow God, there's gonna be joy that surpasses our circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances are, they're really crappy and they're not happy. That's what makes our, that's what happiness is all about. It's when you have crappy circumstances or happy circumstances. That is what it, what it is. But joy, joy just goes so much further than that. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on our heart being anchored to God. And so uh, if you have missed the last few weeks, you want to hear more about those, you guys can go up on our podcast. Uh, we have a podcast. I don't know if y'all knew that. It's like right up there with like Joe Rogan's. So it's really good. Um, <laughs> then we've got YouTube. We've got Facebook. Um, and our own website. You can go watch those sermons on there if you missed them and wanted to get caught up. But um, today we're going to be talking about how we get righteousness through faith in Christ, not by our own works and our own doings, but through faith in Christ. And there's two different ways that we will see we'll typically fall into. We've got the relationship way, the relational way, and then the religious way. And the religious way are the things that we do to try to uh, make ourselves right with God. We'll try to do all these things to work our way up to the very top of the ladder. And then when you get to the top of the ladder, you realize that you were climbing this ladder and it was put on the wrong building. How it doesn't, it doesn't lead to God. It doesn't lead to heaven because it's not about our own righteousness and what we do. It's about the righteousness we get from believing in God. And it reminds me of this one time at our community group um, where we had, uh, we had canceled. We just canceled it because we had a messy house. The kids were just going crazy and we hadn't even made dinner yet. And so uh, one of the things like, we, we tell our community group leaders here, we're like, you guys don't have to have like a clean house. Like just live your life and invite people over, be welcoming and like, you know, just love people well. And so what we did is we, my wife, she loves to have a clean house and this house was not clean. So I was like, all right, let's just cancel group. So we canceled group and we get a knock on the door and I look at Judy and I was like, who's that? I thought you canceled group. And she's like, I did. I was like, but I didn't know. I didn't let know the new couple. I didn't let them know. And so sure enough, I go and open the door and I'm like, hey, my name's Tyler. Nice to meet you. And I remember looking back behind me to see like there was, there was no way they were making it to my couch without like maneuvering through this like, I don't know, this bomb field, this minefield, whatever. It was crazy. And so I remember opening the door and I said, hey guys, I just want to let you know we canceled group. But I also want to let you know that we totally want you to come in. Our house is a wreck, so please forgive us. But we want to get to know you. We want to talk to you. And so we did. We let them in, and I literally helped them over this scooter that my son left out. And then I helped them around my, their pets, their little like, stuffed animals. And then when we got to the couch, after my kids had came home from school, they decided to just take their clothes off and just throw them on the couch. So then I cleaned out this nice little area on the couch and said, here's a nice place to sit. So that is how our hearts sometimes will be anchored to all the things we do. We want our house to be perfect. We want things to be good. We want to do the right things because God will approve of us if we do those things. But he doesn't approve of us for those things. It's not getting God's approval because of what we do. We can try to work our way to heaven, but you can't impress God. We're never going to be able to impress God enough for him to let us in. That's not the gospel. Then you have the other side. So that's the religious side. The other side is the relationship side. This is what it's all about. 
where God says, I don't care how messy your house is. I don't care how on fire your life is. Things are going crazy. But what matters is, is that I picked you and you picked me. It's about our relationship that we have together because you believe and you came to him as you were. He tells us to come as we are, not fix ourselves up and then come to him. That's not what we're supposed to do. He accepts you because of the righteousness that Jesus had. See, he died on the cross. He did all these things and he never sinned. And that is what we get. That's what God sees when he looks at us. He sees Jesus in our place for our sins. All our righteousness comes through faith in Christ. It's in the relationship that we have with him. It's not in the religion. Jesus is better. He's the best. And so Philippians 3.1 says this. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So Paul's starting off, he's saying, look, I'm gonna write to you what I've already told you when I was there in Philippi. So I'm gonna repeat myself. And I heard one time that uh, it's super wise and we see here from Paul too, but I heard one time from a college professor, he said, hey, you need to repeat yourself. So I'm gonna start repeating myself a lot uh, in this sermon because it is important that we we listen to those things. It's the same reason um, that we come to church every week. We come to remind ourselves of Jesus because we'll be so forgetful. We'll get trying to work up the ladder of success or work up the ladder of the good works that we do to try to earn our way to God. And that's just not how it works. We need to have a deeper relationship with him. The main reason we come together is for accountability. It's to point each other back to Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord. We need to remember to be and have a joy-filled heart, not just a religious heart that we have to do the right thing. So Paul then ends verse one, he says this. I have told you this once before and now again. He's repeating himself. So Paul is about to say, don't let it be about the rules to keep, um, to keep the rules to keep and legalism. Avoid that. Verse two says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. See, he's, who's he warning us about right there? He's warning us about the false teachers, the Judaizers, the Judaizers. I don't know if you guys know what a Judaizer is, but it was the people who believed in two things to get to heaven. They believed in the Old Testament law. You had to follow all these laws, the 600 plus laws. You had to do all those laws and believe in God. That's how you got to heaven. If you didn't follow those laws, you don't get to heaven. That is a false gospel. That's what they believed. Paul is saying, don't fall for the legalistic mindset where you think to get it right with God, you have, to, you have to do all these things. You have to do all these good works. They end up saying, I'm going to a ceremony or a ritual. I'm gonna try really hard. I'm gonna do whatever I can to earn my way to God. And we can't earn our way to God. That's not how it works. In fact, when we say, I'm gonna try to earn my way to God, I'm gonna try to do all these good things, what we're doing is we're minimizing the work that Jesus did. We're saying the, G, the work that Jesus did on the cross, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's me. I have to maximize what I'm doing. I have to make sure that what I'm doing is right, which minimizes Jesus. It's not the gospel. We'll end up doing this when we start comparing um, ourselves to other people or comparing our sins. Like, well, that person sins way more than me. Well, they do this. I can't believe that person watches that on TV or, or whatever. When we start comparing ourselves, mine, mine aren't as bad as his. Maybe it's like my kids aren't as bad as his or whatever it is. 
But I kind of accidentally built this kind of mentality in my house, like this competitive mentality. And it's like, I'm starting to have to like back away from like, hey kids, like y'all gotta calm down. Y'all are too competitive. So like we, we just moved a few months ago, but what it used to be is I have a six-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. And um, so my son, he would like race her up the stairs and turn around and be like, look at me, I won, I'm better than you. And I'm like, okay, guys, like, no, you're not better. You're not better than her, relax. And then it was like, okay, well, let's see who can drink the chocolate milk or the hot chocolate the fastest. And so they like chug their chocolate milk and I'm better than you, I won. And I'm like, guys, it's not all about like who wins. It's not about competition, right? And plus the other one gets to enjoy it a little longer anyways, if they don't win, right? So that's what I'd start telling them. And then a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, I started saying, hey, when they would say, I win, I win, I'm better than you. I would say, no, 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 no. I was like, you know who's better than everybody? Jesus. Jesus is better than you. And when you think that you have that chip on your shoulder and you're just hot stuff, Jesus is better. Let that chip get knocked down. Humble yourselves. So that's what I'm trying to teach in my house right now. But Paul is saying it doesn't matter who wins. Whoever wins is not gonna be who gets to heaven necessarily. You have to believe in Jesus to get to heaven. There's nothing you can physically do. The only thing you can do is believe. Those good works that we do, those things when we're in high competition with one another because we wanna be the best or get the promotion, those, those things are evil because they're false. It gives us a false hope, a false idea that, man, I'm gonna get saved because, man, I'm doing all the right things. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm going to church. Paul ends verse two with this. He says, look out for those who mutilate their flesh. A few weeks ago, I looked at my wife and I said, man, I dread the day that I have to talk about circumcision in a sermon. <laughs> Today's the day, y'all. Y'all are with me here. So, so uh, I'm not gonna give you guys an anatomy lesson or nothing, but let's jump into verse three. Verse three says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for the confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. See, circumcision, um, they saw this as like a, a ritualistic thing, like you have to do this to get saved. They saw this as something that was required, but what it was is it was supposed to be a symbol. It's supposed to be a symbol, just like baptism is a symbol of how like we're dying to our old self and when we get raised up, we're raised up in a new life with Christ. It was supposed to be a symbol of how we cut away our flesh back then anyways, and you would have a new life focused on spiritual things, not of fleshly things. So my wife, my wife and I, we have this deal. Um, when I got out of the military, I said, hey, I wanna grow a beard. And she was like, oh, okay, I guess. She wasn't like a huge fan of that idea or anything. And I said, look, I, I know that you don't really like beards, but if it ever gets too long, like, let's just have a deal. Like, you will tell me, I will trim it, and like, we'll be good. And so last Sunday after church, she was like, dude, that beard's looking long on stage. I was like, okay, thanks, babe. And then a couple days passed, and she came back up to me. She's like, so what about your beard? It's getting long. And I was like, okay, okay. So I was like, I've got to cut it. I told her I would. So like I go and I, I trim a couple inches off and I just left it like that because I think we're headed to staff meeting or youth or something. I didn't get a chance to like take my time and trim it up real nice. And so I, I, it kind of looked rough for a few days um, until I was able to do that. And we do that a lot with our life with sin. We'll just try to trim off the big stuff. We'll take off the big stuff and we'll be like, oh yeah, let's cut that away real quick. Let's trim that off. But ah, I got this sin under control. I, I've got, I can tell this, this sin to sit when I want it to sit and it'll sit. It's like my pet. 
See, we, we don't go and we don't take it all off. So a few days later, I took the rest of my sin off and I trimmed it up a little better. But, um, but that, that is what, when you see and when you think about circumcision, it's when we're cutting away the fleshly things, the bad things. It's a symbol of what, um, of what needs to happen. It's not a requirement type of deal. But uh, it is similar to, to baptism. Like I said, let's move on. So it says, Paul says that we are the circumcision. Not that we need to get, he says, we are the circumcision. If you believe in Christ, like we're the ones that are, we're working towards Christ, like towards sanctification. Instead of it being an outward mark, he is saying it's an inward experience of something that's happened to you. Another way to think about it is like a wedding ring. Like this wedding ring that I have on, this just symbolizes that I'm married. It doesn't make me married. In fact, this wedding ring is pointless if I put it on and I'm not even married. It's pointless. So without the relationship or the marriage, the ring is nothing. And you may have a necklace with a cross on it and you're like, yeah, look at this necklace. Like, this is why I'm a Christian. Or, or maybe it's a baptism certificate. Like, look, I got baptized on this day. But the real question is, do you have a savior in your heart? It's not of what do you have? Because with, without the relationship, everything else, it means nothing. And that's what Paul is saying here. We are marked by our identity being in Christ the relationship that we have with them, not anything that we do. So the biggest thing or marker of a Christian is that inward change. And so do you have that inward change? You can do all the outward things. You can go through all the motions. You can go to church every week and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church every week. I read my Bible. I pray every day. I do all those things. But are you doing those outward things to be a Christian or are you doing those outward things in response to an inner experience because you are a Christian? Are you doing those things to be a Christian or is that a response to your inner experience because you, have, you already are a Christian? Is your heart and soul responding to Christ and what his word says? The question isn't, do you worship with your hands in the air like you really don't care? Or do you worship with your hands in your pockets? Do you worship standing up or sitting down? How do you worship? That's the real question is, do you worship? not how do you do it? Do you worship God? Is it real? Is it authentic? So after Paul mentions circumcision, he jumps to verse three at the end of it. It says, put no confidence in the flesh. Saying, hey, we need to depend totally on God, not ourselves, not on the own things that we do. We need to depend on God alone. Verse four says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, excuse me, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. And then he's gonna start listing a bunch of things. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the, under the law, blameless. Seven things. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That last part, I love what he says. He says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. He's saying Jesus is of surpassing worth. A few things in life get better. Like when it comes to age, like health doesn't typically get better. Sometimes money gets better, but few things in life as you get older, they don't get better, they tend to get worse. But the one thing that gets better and better and better is your relationship with Jesus. It should be getting better. 
And if that, and if there was a way to get to heaven from doing the right things, this is what Paul's saying. If there's a way to get to heaven, I've done them all. I've done all these things. He gives us this list. He says he was from Israel. He was from God's chosen people. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, hey, he's talking about race here. They got it wrong because they thought it was about race, not about grace in the Old Testament. They thought it was about race when really it was all about grace. That's why we named this church Grace Point Church is because it's all about the grace. It's about grace, period. That's why our logo is G, period. Grace, period. That's what it's about. Then he goes on, he says, I got circumcised at eight days old. Or think of it as saying like, hey, I got baptized as a baby. I got baptized at eight days old, so I'm saved. I'm a Christian. He's saying, look, I did what I was supposed to do. My family and ancestors, they're Christians. He says, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, I'm of the best people. I'm of the best of Israel, the best Hebrews. He's saying basically, hey, I'm part of Grace Point Church and that's the best church in the city. Or at least that's what I think because I'm biased. But that's what he's saying. He's of the best of the best. He says, as to zeal, I persecuted the church basically because he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought at one point he was doing the right thing. And he says, I always followed the law like a Pharisee or like those Judaizers we talked about. But when it comes down to it, morality, it only keeps you out of jail, doing all the right things. It only really just keeps you out of jail. It doesn't keep you out of hell. So a wise man told me this week, Friday night, he said, your soul must be extremely valuable if Satan would continually pursue it and a king would die for it. I mean, that is huge. Your soul must be extremely valuable if Satan would continually pursue it like he does every day when you keep falling into sin and then a king would die for it. Paul then says this, he goes on, he says, I count everything, all those good moral things that I did, that would make me a Christian if that's how it was to be a Christian. I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, knowing, that word knowing right there, it's not a noun, it's a verb. It isn't about the intellect that you have about God or the intellect you have about the church or Jesus. It's about the relationship that we have with him. He's saying, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of my relationship with Christ Jesus. It's about getting to know him. It's not about him factually or religiously knowing about God. It's knowing him relationally. It's about reciprocating that love, being a mirror where God gives us all that love and we reflect it back to him, giving him all the glory. It's about the knowledge, or it's, I'm sorry, it's not about the knowledge. It's not about like the, oh, I know all these doctrines. I know the Bible. I read the Bible 10 times. It's not about, oh, I read all these books about Jesus. I know all, like I know who the chosen people are. I know all about Calvinism. I know all about the, uh, the Arminian side of things. It's not about the knowledge. It is about the relationship with Jesus. The other stuff is great. It's great to learn. It's great to know. It's great to talk and debate to people about. I'm not saying that stuff's not important. I'm saying it is not the most important. He's saying relationship with Jesus is what is most important. And if you miss that, then what you're really missing is you're missing all of it. If you miss it, the relationship with Jesus, then you're missing it all. We can know facts and information about people and not love them. I could tell you awesome things about my wife and give you all these facts about her. That doesn't mean that you love her. I can know all these things about my wife and that doesn't mean just because I know these things about my wife doesn't mean I love her. 
You guys should be able to see that I love her by the way I treat her, by the way I care for her, by the way I talk to her. You guys should be able to see that I love her. Just like people at work on your day-to-day life, they should be able to see that you spend time with Jesus, that you love God. They should be able to see these things in your life, not just because you know them, you know these things about God. It should be noticeable. So let's not just know things about God. Let's know that we have a strong relationship with God. Studies have shown that you are most like the top five people or top five guys and girls that you hang out with, right? Let Jesus be one of those people. In fact, let him be the number one person that you're hanging out with the most and that people see Jesus because of you're hanging out with them so much. They see Christ-like features and characteristics of your life because you're hanging out with them. Make sure God is one of those five and make sure it's number one. When it comes to God, other people should be able to see that we spend time with them. Then Paul goes to verse eight and he says this, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He basically gets British on us for a second. (laughs) But in order that I may gain Christ, The loss Paul is talking about here are the things that we do to try to earn our way to heaven. The jobs that we have to try to earn the money to go get the house that we want, the car that we want, to go on these lavish vacations with the kids and the family. But then Paul gets British and he says, all those things, all those earnings, it's all rubbish, right? Panama Jack from VBS is coming out, I guess. (laughs) But when you're in a relationship with someone, you don't do things to earn the relationship. There's rules, sure. God gave us commandments. He gave us rules. But we don't follow those rules to have the relationship. We follow those rules for and because of the relationship. We don't follow the rules and God's commandments um, to have a relationship. It's because we follow them for the relationship. The rules we follow will all be for nothing if we don't if we don't put our trust in God, if we don't have a relationship with God first. So Paul finishes the verse, he says, in order that I may gain, or you can put win in there because my family's competitive, right? So you can put win, Christ, in order that I may gain or win Christ. He's saying it doesn't matter what we win or who we win or who wins because we can't win nothing that's worth anything if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, if we don't gain and win Jesus. And there's nothing we can do to, do, to, to win Jesus. The only thing that you can do is believe, but physically there's nothing we can do. We can't work our way up that ladder for approval. He doesn't approve us. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel. Verse nine, it says this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul tells us here that the righteousness of God, it comes through faith. It says it depends on faith and that's the only way to heaven. And then verse 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He says that I may know him. It's a relationship. It's not, I may know things about him. It's that I may know him because it's a relationship with him. A relationships, what they do is they share sufferings. So like when my wife is hurting, when my wife is suffering, I am suffering and hurting and crying and mourning with her. And then if my kids are suffering, they're probably just complaining. 
They're probably just whining and complaining. If you guys want to know more about that, we had a sermon about complaining last week that Paul said. So go listen to that. But but my kids, they're typically complaining, but seriously, when we have relationships where we love people, we should mourn with them. We should, like, we should love the things they love and we should care about the things they care about. Paul says, I will take on all the suffering because he suffered more. I will take it on until death because that is what he did for me. So yesterday morning, um, had a rough morning with our kids, with my son in particular. He was disobeying. We, we were trying to clean up the house real quick early in the morning. And uh, just so you know, he's the one that woke us up. So we didn't wake him up. And we said, hey, let's clean up, let's clean up our, our rooms. Like, let's get this house in order, right? And so he was disobeying and he was being disrespectful to, to my wife, to Judy. And then all of a sudden he had said something and Judy said, all right, that's it. You're not cleaning your room. You're not doing anything right now. You're grounded. He was disrespectful to her. And I, I don't remember what he said, but I remember having that feeling of, hey, you can't talk about my wife like that. You can't talk to my wife like that. And also you can't talk to your mom that way. So I came out and I took a breath. I had a real calm tone and I said, hey son, I know your mom just took away the TV for the day, but I'm taking away your tablet too. You're like, we're not doing screens today. And he of course lost it. He was so upset, so emotional. I said, hey son, go to your room and I'll be there in a minute. And I had to take a deep breath and say, what am I gonna talk to my son about? How do I approach this conversation? And so I went to his room, I pulled him to my office and we sat in chairs face to face, like eye to eye. And I just told him the gospel. I was like, hey man, like you believe in Jesus. And I just wanna remind you that all those bad things you did, the way and the meanness that you talked to your mom with, all that stuff is wiped away and wiped clean because Jesus died for you. So I told him, I gave him the whole gospel spiel. And then afterwards I said, so how do you feel? Like, what are you thinking right now? And he said, well, I feel like you and mom just don't love me. And it hit me. I was like, dang, that's not good. And so I said, okay, what else? And he said, well, I, I think I don't even want to live in this house anymore. And I was like, what? Like, ow. But then I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about that is probably exactly how God felt just on a more massive level when he saw his son hanging on the cross with his blood pouring out. And he said, father, father, why have you forsaken me? That's probably exactly how God felt, just on a bigger level. I just got to feel it on a little minor level. God loves us. He gave his son up to die for us, to die for you, who was the enemy. Just think, think about the most important person in your life, like the person that means the most, that you love the most, and think about that person having to die, not for you, but to die for your enemy. Because that's what Jesus had to do to us. That's what he did for us, I should say. He died on the cross and we were all enemies. If you're saved today, then luckily you're not an enemy of him anymore. But like we were all enemies from birth because we didn't believe and trust in him. We were all enemies of him. And so God sacrificed his only son for you who had no sin. Jesus had never sinned. And that favorite person that you have, I promise that they probably, usually when you love someone a lot, you usually hurt them the most. So I promise they probably sinned against you. You probably sinned against them but Jesus didn't ever sin. And so God had to have filled that so deeply, I imagine. Last night, by the way, my son totally told me, he came up to me, he's like, dad, I had the best day ever. And I was like, really? I was like, why? He's like, I didn't know you could have so much fun without tablets and TV. And it hit me and I was like, that means I've been giving you too much screen time. Uh, so I got to fix that. But um, then verse 11 says this, he says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, we should be willing to go to the ends of the earth for Christ. 
That's what he did for you. We should be willing to do that for him. If you are saved, what are you willing to give up to build a stronger relationship with our creator? And if you're not saved, what are you willing to give up to believe and trust in God? Paul says he will do anything to be resurrected, or in other words, he'll do anything to spend eternity with him. So what are you willing to give up? Jesus just isn't tacked on and added to our busy lives. The church is not just another thing to go to. We need our lives to be changed by Jesus. That's why our mission statement at Grace Point Church is lives changed by Jesus. For a non-believer, lives changed by Jesus, it looks like someone who hears the gospel and believes it. They're redeemed, they're saved. Jesus has changed them because they believe. And for someone who is a Christian, lives changed by Jesus, it means you currently are still being changed. You're currently still being sanctified to our savior, Jesus. Living your life for his glory and not your own. Putting down all your own wants and desires, putting them away to, to follow his, living for his. You not hiding like a recluse anymore because you're just introverted, but listening to what he commands us to do and go tell people about Jesus. The humanistic person, they'll say this, they'll say, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You guys heard that? Like, come on, God helps those who help themselves. Go do something. See, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says rely on God. The legalistic person, they'll say this, we need to work our way to heaven. We need to keep the rituals and the ceremonies and cross our fingers, climb that ladder to only get to the top and realize that it's on the wrong building. And then the Christian message says this, it says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. See, the power to save, it's not in the performance. It's in his promise. 